Hello, and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be raising my puppy Niffler alongside all of you. Although I'm a certified dog behavior consultant, I'm actually new to puppy raising as well. Today, we are talking to Dr. James Ha about puppy temperament and training to mitigate or avoid behavior issues. It's a fascinating discussion, and um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy um, hearing what he has to say. Before we get started, though, we've got a couple housekeeping things. Um, first off, I want to thank everyone who's been reviewing and sharing and supporting the podcast on social media, um, and I'm sure some of you are doing it word of mouth as well. Um, I love reading the reviews, and I love them so much that I'm going to start sharing them with you guys. So um, this week, we have a review from Bex2388 that said, really enjoying this podcast with a great variety of guests and discussions about puppy raising. If you love dogs, you will love this. So thank you for reviewing us. And um, if you haven't reviewed us yet, make sure you do so um, over on the Apple Podcast Store. As a quick reminder, this podcast is also supported by our members over on Patreon. We love our patrons. So for as little as three bucks a month, that is three dollars, guys, you can support this episode and get little perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. Um, I try to interact with people if they ask questions. Um, I'll even respond to questions over um, on the Patreon platform before the episode airs in case you're asking something that is a little bit time sensitive. Um, so it's it's a really great, fun way to interact. I've been really enjoying it. You can sign up over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So before we cut on over to the interview with Dr. Ha, I'm going to introduce you guys to him. He is an amazing guy. He has so much knowledge and so much experience to share. Um, he's an animal behavior researcher and a certified applied animal behaviorist, which is the highest level of certification one can attain in applied behavior. Dr. Ha literally wrote the book on dog behavior, which is called Dog Behavior, Modern Science and Our Canine Companions. While most of Dr. Ha's private practice currently works on aggression cases and expert witness work, today we're talking to him about puppies, their temperament, research he's done in those areas, and how to prevent or mitigate behavior concerns. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ha, and I know we're going to call you Jim, but we have to start with formalities. <laughs> um, why don't we start um, just to get everyone a little bit familiar with you. Can you tell us a little bit about... Um, any dogs that you have in your life or anything you want to share about dog-related or non-dog-related hobbies um, before we get going? Well, I live in the uh, Florida Keys, semi-retired. We're still teaching at the University of Washington, an online program. But um, so, but I, I, my dream was to retire and retire fairly early to the Florida Keys. So I really enjoy fishing and, and water sports, boating mm -hmm. and, and snorkeling and sandbar lounging and, and things like that. Our dog right now is uh, actually a retired, semi-retired service dog. Um, Franny was uh -huh. a breeder for Assistance Dogs of the West, and I work a lot with Assistance Dogs of the mm -hmm. West um, uh, as a, a, a consultant and a speaker at a lot of their events. And so Franny um, had two litters for them, um, and uh, all of them are in service now and um, grown up, and now there's grand puppies wow. and everything else. And they were looking for, you know, she's fully trained, but she had spent part of her life, you know, having puppies. And so they were looking for an opportunity for someone to adopt her for retirement. And since I'd helped out with the organization and we had just retired to the Keys, they decided that Franny, um, a um, black um, English lab, should should retire with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we have yeah. Franny, the service oh. dog, and uh, which has been an interesting experience because their temperament is is mm -hmm. very special and um and their training of course is mm -hmm. very high level and um and they really choose them for a lot of problem solving so she can solve problems before us before we know we have a problem sometimes so <laughs> yeah there you go uh yeah that sounds lovely um, i'm sure she's a really great dog all right, so we're gonna, um, let's start out. Um, I know a lot of your research has focused on dogs with serious behavior issues, um, which we're going to get to a little bit later in the podcast, but this podcast mostly focuses on puppies and kind of caters to, um, you know, people who are really, really excited about getting their puppies up and going, whether that's uh, first time puppy owners 
or uh, much more experienced puppy owners um, who are just looking to do the best they possibly can. So let's start out talking about temperament. And I know that you and your student, Becky Skyver-Thompson, um, worked on some really cool puppy temperament research that was um, just absolutely fascinating. And let's start out um, kind of talking about that. If you want to give us kind of the 30,000 foot view of that research, I have a couple specific questions lined out already as well. Well, the, the goal for, for a master's student um, project was to try to reach for the holy grail in temperament and in dog behavior and animal behavior in general with temperament. And that is to be able to predict something. So there's a lot of people who have put together a lot of um, assessments for puppy personality. And by the way, I use the term temperament and personality pretty much as synonyms. They're not quite the same in the professional field, but we'll use them interchangeably. So I sort of switch back and forth, temperament and personality. But the, the holy grail is sort of be able to, um, to develop some kind of assessment of puppies, let's say before mm -hmm. the age of weaning, before they're sold, before they go to their adopters, mm -hmm. however you want to say it, um, that predicts something about their later behavior that predicts something about mm -hmm. their later temperament, which is part of what determines their behavior. So are they going to be bold or shy? Are they going to be exploratory or not exploratory? Or are they going to be, you know, uh, aggressive or less aggressive? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the problem has been in the business, in the science, that there are no puppy assessments that tell you anything about the later personality. There's no correlation. Mm -hmm. There's enough changes during development, during, as they go through, you know, the the preteen years and the teen years, and you know, get to adult, which is really two years old. There's so many factors that affect their personality and and so on that um, you can't predict. So so none of the puppy mm -hmm. assessments predict. So we were going to fix that. I mean. The big goal yeah, starting out was to, to, to capture the holy grail, and we were going to develop a puppy assessment, uh, measuring a few different things, including some physiology, things like heart rate variability and some things like that that are related to, to personality and behavior, reactivity. And, and we were going to measure a bunch of puppies, and then we were going to wait for... Mm -hmm at the time, one year, and it turned out that, that it, it, we got ran into problems and the, and the student decided to move on and, and so on. We ended, actually ended up bringing in another co-author, Lauren Robinson, um, and so she came mm -hmm. in and followed up with the dogs, finally, after quite a few years. So it was a fascinating mm -hmm. test, <laughs> uh, and, if, and yeah. if, we had, if we had actually discovered that there was something in the measurements we did on the puppies that really statistically significantly predicted something about the adults, whatever it was, two, three, four years later, that would have been the Holy Grail. And there really wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so we, yeah. we replicated the results yeah. with a slightly different assessment um, that other people have done and still no Holy Grail. Still can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the one yeah, of the which I think one of the in messages and one okay. of the messages I think for one of the messages for dog owners is that that there's no way to tell. <laughs> um, everybody has their own way of picking a puppy out of the litter. You know, you want the one that comes up right up to you, and you want the one that stays back in the corner, and you want the one that's in the middle, and you want it doesn't it doesn't tell you anything. And so, what the what the temperament yeah. of the um, dam and sire are, and the general mm -hmm. temperament trends for the breed are accurate but that doesn't guarantee you any particular temperament in any one individual dog yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um and i know i was just listening to another podcast with i believe emily bray on it um and she had done some other puppy assessments and had found there were some really interesting things and i'm going to get this wrong um but something like the puppies that had higher retrieve or tug drive as puppies were then 
like that then correlated with better problem solving capabilities when they were adults, but it didn't correlate with their fetch or tug toy um, drive. And, you know, there, there were some, she had some interesting things in her research that she mentioned, but it wasn't a one-to-one predictive thing. It was that there were some puppy behaviors that then correlated with other adult behaviors, but it wasn't the same. And and, and so that's sort of the same kind of thing that we found, you know, that there was one thing that correlated Mm -hmm. with something else later, you know, and it's hit or miss, and it usually can't be replicated when other people look at it. And so, you know, the other bottom line from this for now is, is, you know, it's complicated. It's just, it's much more complicated than a simple, you measure something as a puppy, and that carries right through to them as an adult. You know, what do you know? Biology is fascinating, and really, really complicated. Yeah. And we tried the simple route, which you know is the place to start, and uh, it's going to take more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense, even kind of thinking about like uh, we took all these aptitude tests and standardized tests when I was in fifth grade and eighth grade and tenth grade, and then you know the the L, you know, even like the LSAT or whatever, like they don't predict even at these later levels, your um, LSAT or MCAT scores don't actually predict how good of a lawyer or surgeon you're going to be, let alone if we were trying to look at like a kid's fifth grade uh, standardized uh, test. You're correct. Um, exactly the same issue in, in humans. No, no different. You know, we really start talking to our colleagues yeah. in psychology that are doing human personality and they're all going, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we tried that simple approach a long time ago. Didn't work. And uh, well, we're going to try it anyway, <laughs> yeah. you know, doesn't work. So, yeah, yeah, you've got to have like, I mean, to some degree in science, it's helpful to have, okay, we can point to these 17 papers that all say the simple approach isn't going to work. So now we know we need to, <laughs> now we need the funding, please, to yeah. do something yeah, harder. Right. And, and, and you have to build that, I guess, you know, because you have to you have mm-hmm. to test the simple stuff and show, as you say, replicating yeah. and so on that it doesn't work. It's going to be a tough nut to crack. And yes, we're going to have to have a lot of creativity and how we do this, a lot of technology and technological tools. And of mm-hmm. course, it's all funding, you know, and so that's not easy to find these right. days for this kind of work. Um, and that's what it's going to, that's what it's going to take. And, you know, I think it, it can be done. It's just going to be finding out how the genes turn on and off all during development into adulthood, mm-hmm. how external traumas and experiences interact with what the genes are saying, you know, and, and as with all of this mm-hmm. human genome and animal genome and behavioral genetics work, it's, it's not just, you know, it's not uh, Gregor Mendel and the old pea plants and, and the very simple basic genetic inheritance that you learned, mm-hmm. you know, way back in high school. Um, it, 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 it's really complicated. <laughs> and um, Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's so hard, especially when you're looking at these these babies and then trying to extrapolate out into adulthood. I know I have a, my puppy's about five months old and I selected him in the hopes that he's going to grow up and be a search dog. So I was looking for, um, and I was looking at a litter of border collies. So I was looking for, for a border collie, kind of independent, um, scent oriented, and the one who was really persistent with an unsolvable food puzzle. Um, and, you know, and he blew all his litter mates out of the water with that. And that's why I took him home. And it was, you know, it's the best, you know, you got to pick somehow. Um, but then, you know, as he hopefully succeeds going forward, can I really say that I couldn't have done that with any of his other litter mates? Because every single day I'm working to strengthen um, those tendencies in him. And I'm doing very little, um, like I'm not doing any like agility foundation work where I'm teaching him to look to me for cues or, you know, I don't need to build that anymore in him. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are so many other factors um, once they leave their litter too. I I don't know. It's a a tough, tough nut to crack. I mean, and this is the kind of stuff that we're, you know, we're, I'm trying to do and work with a lot of the, the service dog organizations these days, you know, uh, same kind of thing. They want to be able to tell at a very early age which dogs, puppies, are going to turn out to be the most successful um, service dogs, assistance dogs. Uh, and even beyond that, what kind of assistance dogs? Are they a one dog kind of dog? One person, you know, good PTSD? Are they good with crowds and, and kids? Um, you know, so there's different functions that assistance dogs use. And it would sure be able to, nice to be mm-hmm. able to 
predict which path one of these dogs is going to go on and we have a huge number of dogs to assess and outcomes clear outcome mm -hmm. yeah no we can't do it yet so yeah do you think it's easier well and this this is an overly simplistic question so i know it's going to be a it depends sort of answer but i want to hear it anyway um with these really highly specific gene pools in a in service dog work i would imagine the litters are pretty homogenous compared to you know if you've got like a border collie shepherd cross down the street um i wonder if the differences and the specificity of the job is so challenging that that is different versus looking at you know a litter of shelter puppies and kind of I wonder if there, if you think that there would be any difference in like, you could look at a litter of, you know, some under socialized random shelter puppies and say like, these two actually do seem like significantly more fearful or more friendly than the others because it, there's more variation in that. Yeah, litter. You, would, you would think so. And yet you introduce <clears throat> new complexities into the, let's call it the shelter dog group, the mixed breeds group and, and so on, because you mm -hmm. have mixed up those genetics so much. And you would think that, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously, and that's what I was saying earlier about choosing a dog, choose a breed. Yeah. Um, because there are obviously breed um, tendencies. And so, mm -hmm. and, and the service dogs who breed organizations that breed their own dogs or manage their own dog breeding have focused right in, you know, on these Labrador retrievers, uh, golden retriever mixes and, and so on, and, and are selecting quite, quite thoroughly, you know, for certain kind of behavior, including this problem solving. Mm -hmm. and, and so, sure, your, your hit rate, your success rate is going to be much higher. You know, a large proportion of the dogs mm -hmm. they breed are successful and go on to become assistance dogs, and that's economically efficient and 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 so on. Um, mm -hmm. you, you go into a shelter, you know, and and you've got a much wider um, uh, range of behavior. So, obviously, mm -hmm. while they still would like within their pool of assistance dogs a very narrow, homogeneous genetic, beautiful genetics. They still want to be able to predict, you know, the, the, the subtlety, subtle differences um, mm -hmm. that they use to, to for a, a guide dog as opposed to a mobility dog as opposed to a PTSD dog. Obviously, yes, you go into the shelter and, and want to pull a rescue dog for this kind of work. Yeah, it's a lot more obvious. I mean, yeah, there's a wider range of personalities let's say emotional levels and so on like mm -hmm. that and there's clearly some that are not appropriate and clearly some that are maybe appropriate and and the problem is you can't assess yeah. them and say there are some that are definitely appropriate and because how are <laughs> yeah. they going to react to training the best you can do is potentially yeah, yeah. so you so you what well, it's a lot all this is a lot of sort of playing the odds so if you want a dog of, mm -hmm. you know, a puppy and later a dog of a certain personality, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, you know, your best bet playing the odds is to go with certain breeds, right? If you're not a jogger mm -hmm. and you're not a really active kind of person, don't go with the herding dogs, right? Don't go with Australian Shepherds and, <laughs> yeah. and Border Collies, right? Um, if you're a jogger, go with a Border Collie right? or, 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 you know, one of the one of the dogs mm -hmm. that the coursing breeds that just love to run and run and run mm -hmm. and run and run. Obviously, dachshunds are not, you know, not what you want. I mean, so there's... Yeah, yeah. But still, you know, you'll get a Border Collie that's... that doesn't want to run or you'll get it, you know, um, mm -hmm. so there's variation. I have a friend with a Chihuahua Dachshund, Dachshund mix that loves like they, they mountain bike together. Yeah, it's the dog's favorite thing. Not, you know, as a breed, that is not the common characteristic. And so there's this mm -hmm. individual variation. So it's, it's a breed or species, you know, same, same as a difference between do you want a dog or do you want a cat? I mean, there's some big differences for, and, and so, but within dogs, we essentially have breeds that are different species that are so different genetically, um, that they have these mm -hmm. different just predispositions.
but you always have individual variation on top of that. And where do we get that individual variation? How much of that is genetic versus experience and trauma and life, you know, life? Uh, and think that's, mm -hmm. that's the cutting edge of how do those things affect temperament or personality, you know, finally in the, in the adult dog, that's the trick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many, I know I've read papers about, you know, different mothering styles being uh, better or worse for predicting um, or producing good service dog puppies. And, you know, there's just, there's so much in there. Um, and it's, it's so, so much more complicated than just being able to run a couple puppies through a test on an afternoon when they're seven yeah. weeks old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my caution, you know, for, for the public and in general, you know, is to watch out for the claims of those things. I'm science-based. I'll go to mm -hmm. the scientific literature and I will find tests, valid, scientific, double-blind tests of those things. I've done some, as you say, and you know, it, it, mm -hmm. don't, don't, don't hold your hopes too high <laughs> um, for success yeah. with that. Um, it's make sure you know you're still flipping a coin to some extent. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny, it's almost an argument for, you know, like this, I think sometimes, uh, particularly when I've worked in shelters, but also sometimes when I'm talking to other professional trainers, we kind of poo-poo the idea of picking a puppy based on looks or just falling in love with the puppy that comes and crawls and falls asleep into your lap. Um, but honestly, like, at least you know that their coat color is likely to stay the same throughout their life. Like, at least you know you're going to like looking at it. That's right. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah. So, um, do you, can you off the top of your head, what, um, what factors did you, did you look at? What did some of those tests look like? Um, so that we know that at least if someone is describing that test, we know it's, uh, it's been done and it did not help predict yeah. adult behavior. Yeah. It's, uh, we essentially for the, there was two parts to it and, and, um, uh, mm -hmm. intended to have three and not all of it all worked out as well, but one, we wanted behavioral assessments. Those are the ones that are commonly done. And so there's things like mm -hmm. the roll the ball test. You roll a ball, does the puppy chase it? Um, okay. And some puppies will just watch it go by and some puppies are all over it. You know, um, we usually do, you know, things like uh, uh, rolling them gently over on their back. How much do they struggle? That's mm -hmm. a classic one, which mm -hmm. so far has never predicted anything whatsoever, but everybody includes it because you see variation in it. I mean, you roll a puppy over on its back yeah. and some of them really struggle to get, and some of them will just lay there, right? And probably let you scratch their belly. Yeah. So there's variation in it. So we're thinking, aha, some do it this way, some respond that way. Maybe that predicts differences in, yeah, no, but... We keep trying. Um, uh, I think there's following <laughs> yeah. a rope. It's been a while since I've looked at that, but I think there's following a rope and 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 um, a stranger enters a room and now you know do they approach the stranger? You know, run away from the stranger, and some mm -hmm. of those kind of things. So it's a fairly standard assessment that's been published and, and is yeah. used widely. We added what we really wanted. Some of the no more novel stuff that we were doing was we were adding in some uh, physiological measures. And there's a lot of work lately that's starting to suggest that there is are some physiological measures that relate to these personality traits. So things like basal heart rate, um, or even more importantly, um, heart rate variation. Uh, how much does the heart rate go up and down during a session? Um, respiration mm -hmm. rate and things like that, that, that are physiological, not behavioral. And the idea is that those are harder to mask or alter in response to how big the tester is and, you know, how deep their voice is or something. They might alter their behavior and hide something. Whereas, you know, this is the standard polygraph test. The physiology gives you away. Um, and so we were measuring some of these things, a stethoscope and, and so on. You're doing, you know, repeated heart rate measurements on the puppies while we're doing the behavioral assessments. Um, the, the third part really was doing the cortisol, um, trying to look at some stress hormones um, in the salivary fluid, have them suck on a string. I think that's the stuff that basically didn't really work out. We didn't get the bugs worked out, didn't have time to get the bugs worked out. A master's degree mm -hmm. is a very short 
project. It became clear yeah. uh, quickly that this was a bigger, uh, you know, our, our eyes were bigger than our stomach mm -hmm. or something, you know, that that we were taking on something pretty big. <laughs> um, so we did some of these and, yeah. and we certainly did the heart rate stuff. And so the idea was to see how that related to some of the personality, so the variability in personality dimensions that we saw in the behavioral tests. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we were looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. And I, I love the idea of kind of trying to look at some of these, these other factors where it's, you know, maybe it's not the test and the puppy's uh, obvious behavioral response that is valuable, but potentially there is some, something about, you know, their heart rate as they exhibit a response right. that is, um, is potentially helpful. So that sounds like a really exciting area for some PhD student who's listening to us to, That's right. to go experiment. That's right. And there's a little bit of that stuff going on. I mean, there is there is some work going on. There's a, there's a great lab at Purdue University that's that's got a big, well-funded um, group that's that's starting to look at some of this stuff and get more sophisticated about some of these physiological assessments and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you, um, th the test that you did, one of the things I really loved about it um, was that uh, you did it with multiple different breeds. I can't remember off the top of my head what they were, but did you see any any differences at all by breed or was it as you've been kind of uh, hinting at, I think already in our interview, the results varied by breed, but that was just breed tendencies, not actually that the test worked better for one breed for the other. Well, actually, statistically, that probably for me, the most fascinating result that we actually got, positive result that we actually got, we got very little from puppy to three-year-old dog, later later adult dog kind of thing, and just like everybody else had found. Mm -hmm. But what I, I found most interesting about our stuff is that we did find clusters of results, certain combinations of personalities, including the heart rate stuff, that pre very accurately predicted what breed group the puppy belonged to. So we did mm. what we what we are finding in a lot of the literature now is that is that the we don't necessarily uh, find breed specific um, variability, breed specific characteristics. We they basically are are more accurately belong to the breed group. So mm -hmm. whether you can separate a Yorkshire Terrier from a Fox Terrier by their behavior, by their average temperament, by their person, you know, whatever, probably not. Can you identify a terrier from a herding dog? Yes. Mm -hmm. right? From some of the uh, retrievers, or what we call the gun dogs, mm -hmm. or sporting dogs, from the some of the ancient breeds, the, the, the more primitive, genetically primitive breeds, um, like the Husky and the Malamute mm -hmm. and, and so on. Yes. So you can, uh, in all of my teaching, yeah. in all of my work, I really emphasize that there are definitely differences in many ways, particularly in personality and temperament, mm -hmm. on average, on average, <laughs> across breed groups. <laughs> and I yeah. really use the term breed groups, genetic clusters or seven lace papers that genetically define mm -hmm. these clusters, um, like terriers, um, you know, like retrievers, um, like ancient breeds, uh, some of the, basically the toy or what we call modern European breeds, the, the lap dogs, mm -hmm. um, they have traits in common on average, mm -hmm. um, which are significantly yeah. different than the other groups. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, I feel like when I was first kind of getting into dogs and getting in and looking at getting my first dog, and I spent so much time trying to get someone to explain to me in a way that made sense the difference between a Border Collie and an English Shepherd and an Australian Shepherd. and. I feel like now that I own border collies and I've dog sat a lot of Aussies, like I, I, I know the difference, but I still don't think I could really explain it in a way <coughs> that if it was your first dog, yeah. you would understand what and, I meant. And, it, and there's so much variability, right? And so you, you get, yeah. on average, 
they're different, but there's so much variability that statistically we can't say that we can tell the difference in personality between uh, an Australian Shepherd and a Border Collie, you know, accu accurately, mm -hmm. you know, with 95% accuracy. Um, sure, the right. people who really are into them say, well, obviously they're different. Um, but 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 you have this range, you know. It's there's a range, and mm -hmm. there's Australian shepherds that are more border collie like, and there are you know, and so on. Oh yeah. But but the typical personality of a border collie or Australian shepherd compared to a Labrador gun dog, hunting dog, sport dog, that's statistically significant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so yeah. and the same thing, you know, with the ancient breeds and so on, there's certainly breed group, you know, differences. So what I talk to people about who want to think about personality, which I encourage, you know, personality and lifestyle and fit to the family and, and things like that. I, 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 talk, I, I feel very comfortable talking about the typical characteristics of breed groups. Within that, yeah, you're still flipping a coin somewhat. You can get one on one end or the other end mm -hmm. of the variability. It's no guarantee, but you play in the odds. That's your best. Plan. Yeah, you're hoping you're hoping for a bell curve. And, and then within that, which ones do you like better? Do you, do you want short hair or long hair? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want a, a dark colored dog on your light colored furniture upholstery? You know that you know practice whatever size. You know, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, and I think it's fine. That, you know, my grandparents always had a little dog, right? Um, and so, you know, you can use some of those kind of characteristics. But what I discourage is that you that you go with the dog that your family always had, but you know nothing about, or something like that. You know, the looks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Or you had German shepherds your whole life, but you grew up on an eighty-acre yeah, farm, yeah, right, and yeah, yeah. and so, now you live in, a, in an apartment. It's like, well, I gotta have a German shepherd in my yeah, condo. This, this is a very different Seattle. situation now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I, you know, avoid yeah, that. Exactly. But but let's fit. Let's fit personality and energy level and aggressiveness and you know and so on to what you really need now. And then within that group, you know, it doesn't matter. We really, there's yeah, so much yeah, variability that, that we really can't, can't predict it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's so much individual variability and you know, the best you're hoping is that you can get your bell curve somewhere in your bell That's curve right. and the breeds right. within a breed group overlap on the bell curve so much. Yeah. Maximizing your odds is, is about the best we can do for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, did you have any of the factors that did kind of correlate with an adult behavior, even if it wasn't a one-to-one -one that you we do want to mention before we um, switch gears a little bit? I don't think I'd even mention them. I don't. Uh, we had one factor, <laughs> yeah. and I can't remember what it was, and and I don't. I don't. I'm not sure it was real, right? It's never been able to be replicated. Yeah, Nobody that makes else replicated it. Uh, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I think the conclusion was okay. that it was that I think we we could we could show that there are some genetic breed group clusters of personality and temperament, uh, and we once again failed to predict anything about you know young dog, old dog, and and, and I would leave it. Right. I, I don't yeah. think we can take it any further than that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we t come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit to talk about dogs with um, behavior issues and anything that we can um, learn about that and then push forward into our puppies. So we'll take a quick break and then be back in a moment. This podcast is supported by the Puppy Raising Blueprint course, which you can find at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. In this course, which is partnered between Journey Dog Training and the Canine of Mine, I guide you through everything from common problem behaviors like biting and potty training to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's always available on a self-study basis at journeydogtraining.com blueprint. As a new puppy owner, I know how often we're cleaning up. While there's no replacement for management, supervision, and training, Clean Carl's has my back for the times that I slip up and Niffler has an accident. Clean Carl's pet mess products get rid of stains and odors from dog poop and cat pee and everything in between without any added scents so your house won't smell like poop or cleaning products. Plus, they're safe to use about, around both pets and kids. Next time your furry friend has an accident, try Clean Carl's pet mess zapper and remover. 
Use the code JOURNEY10 and get 10% off your first order. Just head over to cleancarls.com and use code JOURNEY10 at checkout. All right. And we are back. So as I said, this second half of the podcast, I've just got a couple questions that um, are a little bit more varied. So we're not talking so much about just puppy temperament tests now. Um, so Jim, can you talk to us a little bit about your current and recent work with dogs with serious behavior issues and, you know, anything that has been striking you lately as just, I mean, you, you just, you have so much knowledge and anything that you feel like you've been really interested in that you would like to share with our listeners. Um, this is just kind of a fun question. Well, I think, you know, I've, I, since 1999, I've, I've operated um, a clinical practice, basically. I'm, I'm a faculty member at the University mm -hmm. of Washington. I, I have a day job, uh, one of which I retired from not very well. I'm still there 40% time. Um, but, um, but, you know, I always ran sort of a side uh, practice, um, working with a lot of veterinarians in the Seattle area. I have now fled Seattle and, and I'm down in the Florida Keys now fishing and everything, as I talked about. But, but for, particularly in Seattle, for a long time, you know, I had a very large clinical practice going in people's homes, referrals from veterinarians, going in people's homes and helping them understand and deal with behavior issues in dogs and cats and mm -hmm. occasionally parrots and ferrets and guinea pigs, but mostly dogs and cats. And in fact, mm -hmm. mostly dogs, although a lot of cats, um, but mostly mm -hmm. dog behavior issues. And of course, in both dogs and cats, mostly aggression issues. So you tend to see a lot, you know, over many years, I don't know how many years that is, but a lot of years of of seeing these cases, you, you, you accumulate a lot of practical experience with diagnosing these cases and, and, and what works, how you can treat these cases. Um, I got a lot of individualized mm -hmm. uh, training in the use of medication. And really, you know, one mm -hmm. of the messages is that I think a huge percentage, much more so than people think, um, a huge percentage of dog and cat behavior uh, aggression aggression issues have to do with anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think anxiety mm -hmm. in dogs is increasing. Um, I think it's it's. I've often said that it's at epidemic, pandemic, <laughs> uh, maybe epidemic in the U.S. I think I think it, it may be very different in other countries, mm -hmm. but from inbreeding. Um, puppy mills and so on from um, one of the side effects of how successful we've been in adoption and shelter and rescue and so on that experience of abandonment and rehoming and so on um, often produces a lot of anxiety um, and so a, co mm -hmm. a couple different reasons I, I think inappropriate choice of breed for lifestyle as we were just Mentioned, mm -hmm. my family's always had German shepherds, but now I live in a condo in Seattle. Um, you know, um, you, you, you're having behavior issues with your gigantic Rottweiler. Why do you have a Rottweiler? Did your family have Rottweilers? No. Did, did your wife's family always have Rottweilers and know how to handle them? No. You've never really had any experience with Rottweilers? Yeah. No. Why do you have a Rottweiler? I like the way they look. You know, and... and yeah. Um, and there are certain personality <laughs> and they can very easily yeah, take, yeah. take over the house, right? Um, fill in the, 
the missing rules and regulations. So I think mm-hmm. one of the messages, you know, is, is and I do a lot of public speaking about um, anxiety in dogs, how to mm-hmm. identify anxiety, how to diagnose anxiety, and then how to treat it, you know, um, how to recognize yeah. it appropriately. Um, a lot of people come to me with cases and of course, for reasons obviously generated by certain dog training personalities on television, you know, a lot of people think it's pack leadership issues or dominance mm-hmm. issues, right? And that's why your dog is being aggressive to you or to other dogs or to other people or uh, something, you know. And and occasionally it is the issue, not that the television trainers deal with it appropriately. Uh, but much more often, mm-hmm. I, I think it's anxiety. I think it's fear, fearful behavior and anxiety, and it's really running rampant and, and it's creating some serious public health issues and problems. Um, so that's one of the messages, you know, that I always like to get across is, yeah. is uh, make sure if you have a dog or a cat with, particularly with aggression issues where there's, I mean, there's a, there's a liability, there's a cause, there's, you know, it, it, dogs, mm-hmm. dogs are predators. They can do some damage. Um, and so get the help of a professional, get a, a qualified, you know, mm-hmm. behaviorist in there to, to really correctly identify the problem and, and deal with it appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Are there any, um, you know, and this, I know this could be a whole 10 part podcast on its own, but any kind of red flags that someone may be able to notice in a puppy or even a young teenage dog, you know, a dog under, under 18 months. Cause I think a lot of times we start seeing like anxieties and aggressions peaking as the dog hits social maturity. Are there any other, um, you know, red or yellow flags that someone may be able to notice as their puppy is aging Um, and quick interventions or, you know, anything that they can start doing right away before it gets to be a a worse problem. And they've got a a four-year-old dog that uh, is is a liability. The the development period for dogs, which is the first two years, first two years of age is so Mm -hmm. critical. Um, it really makes or breaks um, the dog. Once they hit about two years of age, you it sort of crystallizes, and you pretty much have what you have. So the first two years mm-hmm. and getting the education out to puppy owners, like you do so well, um, is, is really critical. Because you make mistakes in the first two mm-hmm. years. They have lifetime consequences. One of the things you know, that mm-hmm. I always watch for certainly in a dog under a year of age um real red flags under eight months of age is any kind of aggression um dogs of that age aren't normally aggressive and so when i have somebody who's gotten a a decent bite wound you know and i say well how old is a dog i'm thinking maybe a year and a half or three or four years and they say six months Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a serious flag because the behavior is so unusual, right? I mean, you push mm-hmm. a four-year-old dog hard enough, you're going to get a bite. If you push a six-month-old dog hard enough and they bite, there's an issue there. Um, mm-hmm. And so really, really watching for that. Socialization, do not wean too early, and you've probably talked lots about this, but do not wean too early. Uh, the scientific literature is mm-hmm. now pushing the, the suggested weaning ages a little bit later. Um, eight weeks is mm-hmm. common, but we now know that there's big benefits in socialization and development of fear behavior later at 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks for weaning. Um, mm-hmm. And so Try not to wean too soon. Um, and and then really good socialization. Um, there's another period mm-hmm. between seven and nine months of age when a lot of dogs develop fears of sort of scary things. It's a sensitive period. Um, the mm-hmm. worst thing in the world is for a dog to be seven to nine months old on the 4th of July because uh, of the fireworks, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so if you have a dog, mm-hmm. it's going to be, you know, seven to nine months old on the 4th of July, or I guess um, New Year's Eve, um, 
you want to really make an effort to to try and blanket that noise, cover the noise, take him out in the country. I mean, that's where the problem starts. And dogs that hear that yeah. when they're 12 months old or 14 months old often don't have anywhere near as big a problem. Doesn't phase on the same so, way. Uh, that's fascinating. Others, My puppy is definitely going to be nine months old. <laughs> on yeah, of, like around, yeah, around nine months thing. old on Fourth of July. We have issues with with rescued dogs. If you're going to get a dog from a shelter, <laughs> be aware they're coming with certain kinds of issues. How serious are the issues? Mm. A dog. So I'm asking. See, I'm coming in later. The dog's a year and a half old, two years old, three years old. It's been biting people or acting aggressive or whatever. And, and I'm saying, you got it from a shelter, yes. Um, what what age was it when it was in during the, when it was in the shelter? Oh, we got it out of the shelter. It'd been in the shelter for like you know a month or two months. And I said, what age was it when you got it? Nine months old. So it was in the shelter between seven and nine months. Not surprising that they've developed issues with attachment and yeah. socialization and so on. And it's going to make this solution much more difficult. Um, so I yeah. push, for instance, mm -hmm. for shelters. And in, in a lot of cases, if you have dogs that you think, and sometimes they don't know, but think that are about seven mm -hmm. to nine months, great time to use fosters. Get them into a foster home yeah. for a couple yeah, of get months. Them get them out of the shelter, the scary shelter with all the smells and all the different dogs and the noise and public coming through and, get them into a uh, foster for two months and then bring them back. Um, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So there's those kinds of sensitive yeah. Yeah, periods. Yeah, they're straight out of that home. Right. Oh, even better. And a lot of shelters are moving to not yeah. holding the dogs. You know, we have, we have so few dogs in shelters in most of the country now. It's given us an mm -hmm. opportunity to really start feasibly, you know, expanding foster programs. And the dog comes into the shelter building, if there is, even if there is such a building, for processing and initial, you know, handling and assessment and some stuff like that. And then out to a, a foster, a volunteer foster. So much better a system. Much better system. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, it really is. So, you know, there's, um, that's the shelter that I work for is doing a lot of that. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much better it is for so yeah. many of these dogs. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, the flip side around is if you're looking for a dog and you want to adopt from a shelter, you know, think, see if you can find shelters that are, are sent. That's a, that's a behaviorally smart, you know, facility that, that does those kinds of things that are, are aware of some of the latest research and, and are taking that mm -hmm. and applying it and saying, okay, that's what the science tells us. And this is, this is the direction we should be moving in. Um, to, to try and to make use of that of that information to improve the life of the dogs. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think so. I've forgotten what my question was, but I liked the answer. So. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there are some there are some things that can be done, and some again things that mm -hmm. I like people to know. Um, you know, like be careful mm -hmm. about choosing a dog based on a puppy assessment. Um, but this, the same thing, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it's, it's wonderful to, to, to adopt a dog from a shelter. Um, but it does come mm -hmm. with downsides. And of course, getting a dog from a breeder comes with some downsides, encouraging breeding. And, mm -hmm. you know, on the other hand, you do know something more about what you're getting. And, and a good breeder you're, mm -hmm. you're, is getting, they're getting socialization and so um so there are trade-offs yeah one of my dogs is from from a shelter um and i got him when he was three um and i had probably turned down i was working for a very large shelter at the time and i think i had probably looked at and disregarded i don't know four thousand dogs before bringing him home um so i was able to be incredibly selective and he's been you know the world's easiest best you know, whatever dog, I wish he wasn't neutered. Um, and, you know, then on the flip side, my puppy, I had to base, I had to choose when he was nine weeks old. Um, and, you know, the breeder mostly chose for me and luckily we agreed. Um, but I knew the parents and I knew the genetics. And he was raised with puppy culture and all of these things. And it's, it's challenging both ways. It's just a matter of yeah. uh, what what challenge you're going with. And most people who are adopting from a shelter don't have the benefit I had of, you know, I right. worked inside the shelter on the behavior team and I got to 
be extremely picky. I put I called dibs on barley before the shelter opened that morning. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah, one yeah. else had a chance but, of getting him. But this, yeah, these are the kind of thing. And what you, what this advice helps you do, I hope, is to um, alter your odds. Right? There's just mm-hmm. no sure thing. Breeder or adopted yeah. or whatever. There's no sure thing. There are some factors that you can keep in mind to to improve your mm-hmm. odds. That's about the best we can do. All right. Yeah, we'll take it. Um, I think. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or make sure that we um, we talk about anything I didn't ask you before we uh, let you go? I, I think you know the 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 caution about anxiety, you know, and watch for anxiety. Get educated on signs of anxiety. That's become even more important, you know. Um, I did a video a little while back at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, about separation anxiety, and and boy, are we mm-hmm. seeing separation anxiety appearing. Um, and so there's some some yeah. great resources online about about dealing with anxiety in dogs, dealing with separation anxiety. And I, I would encourage people to be very careful as people are going back to work, um, starting to go out of the house again, um, even, you know, just going to a restaurant for the evening when, remember, you've been home a lot um, in many cases. Um, be gentle. Be gentle with your pets because it, it's a big alteration mm-hmm. in habits. It's a big alterations in their in their expectations. And it, and if you're not too gentle with some personalities, you know, some dogs won't care at all. And you don't have a problem. You don't have a problem. But um, watch for the anxiety and get help from a behaviorist. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're seeing signs, the sooner you get help, the better off you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, I think the episode that airs right before yours is with Melina De Martini, all about separation anxiety. So hopefully, we're getting people some good information because I know all of us trainers and behaviorists are very worried about um, the post-pandemic separation anxiety surge. Um, yeah, and, and the number of calls. Hopefully, I'm we're all is, just wrong. Yeah, uh, the number of calls I'm getting is is all starting starting to, to take off again, and um, yeah, uh, you know, trying to get them some resources and so on. <laughs> trying to be retired but you know i want to help and um so trying to trying to get the word out there people should be sensitive to it and get help and there is help and there are behaviorists and really qualified trainers and i'm sure you know you've talked about some of those qualifications and things like that before so um but it's it's the anxiety issue is is uh, uh, rearing its head in another wave or form with the changes now with Mm -hmm. massive changes in social culture that we've we've gone through yeah yeah definitely so where can um if people are interested in staying up to date or maybe catching your next your next videos where can people find you online drjimha.com i have a website and a facebook page excellent we'll make sure to link to both of those in the show notes thank you so much for coming on and uh have a good rest of your your week and enjoy the florida sunshine and catch some fish or something thank you thank you guys so much for listening make sure you subscribe review and consider supporting the podcast and getting more amazing info by joining our patreon over at patreon.com pandemic puppy you can sign up for the puppy raising blueprint course over at journeydogtraining.com blueprint and make sure that you join that free pandemic puppy raising support group over on facebook we'll talk to you next week <laughs>